Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the WP Builds Podcast. Entitled, A Great Way to Think About Writing Copy with Regina Tozzolino, Part 1. Now, it's in two parts, this one, because she had so much, genuinely so much interesting stuff to say. So, you've got the first part this week, and the second part will come along next week. It was published on the 7th of December, 2017. And my name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England. Now... After the news section, we'll be joined by David Wormsley for our regular discussion. And in this particular case, it's entitled The Etiquette of Affiliate Links. And we'll be talking that problem through. Also, after that, we've got the interview with Regina. And then after that, we have our little ending fact. So the podcast, if you haven't noticed, is now split up into multiple sections for your delectation. <laughs> Go to the WPBuilds.com website and click on all of the buttons underneath the player. Uh, you can share it on literally every platform known to man or woman or dog, cat or pigeon. Um, also, if you do click on the iTunes one, it'd be very nice if you could leave a five star review or, you know, write something honest like it is rubbish, something like that, because apparently those reviews are very, very uh, helpful to getting our audience a little bit bigger. So, yes, there we go. Um, also, if you go to the WPBuilds.com website and, website and put forward slash Facebook, you'll be able to join our Facebook group. Forward slash subscribe gets you um, to join our newsletter, which is growing in popularity. And forward slash advertise, should you be interested in advertising on the podcast. Now, there's no competition for me to tell you about at the moment, so I'm going to dive straight into the news and on the Talk Magazine website, is it is it even a magazine? It's called talkmag.io, so I presume it's got a real-life magazine attached to it. I don't know. Apparently, WordPress now powers 54 of the top 100 companies in the Inc. 5000. Now, I confess, being a bit of a being a bit of a luddite, I don't really know what the Inc. 5000 is, but I'm presuming it's the measure of the top 5000 companies in the US, and apparently 54 of the top 100 are using WordPress. What can you say apart from that's quite a lot? On the WP Shout website, there's a very, very long and very, very cool article written by Fred Meyer. It's entitled, This Changes Everything. Gutenberg is good now. And he describes his sort of scepticism about Gutenberg at the beginning of how he's watched it develop over time. And especially over the last week where it was sort of announced at um, WordCamp US. Um, and he highlights all of the things that he thinks are good, all of the things that he still thinks need to be done. But he's, I think, a, a bit of a convert, as am I becoming now. I can sort of, the fog is lifting and I'm sort of seeing what it's all about and why it might be a good thing. Anyway, certainly worth looking at. Over on the Security blog, there is a new malware um, problem that's infecting WordPress sites, which is a keylogger. Oh my goodness me. And it can suck out the keystrokes of forms. My goodness me, before you've even entered the form. So as you type it, sucks out what it is that has been typed. So, you know, usernames and passwords, credit card details in forms and so on. So worth having a look at um, and checking out if it's something you need to be a bit mindful of. Okay. 
Again, back on the talkmag.io website, the state of the word recap, and it's just a, a very, very nice um, summation of everything that was said, including um, tips about Gutenberg, about the proliferation of word camps and WordPress meetups, about what the WordPress Foundation has been up to and what the how the Hacker One um, initiative has been taking place. We mentioned Tide last week and about how that's coming along about the ad adoption of um, Let's Encrypt, which now apparently takes as many as 36% of all WordPress websites, which is good news. Um, anyway, worth going and looking, in my opinion. Now, this is interesting if you're a Beaver Builder fan. WallaceInline.com is a new plugin which is currently in early access stage, you know, sort of like a pre-release stage. And they've still got space for 30 more people out of 100. And you get the you get the plugin for lifetime. What it is, it's a um, an inline editor. So in other words, you can edit the text. I might have mentioned it before, but um, you can edit the text on the front end rather than having to click on um, like Beaver Builder modules and the, the sort of pop up comes open. So what, I, I think it's a, a really interesting initiative. Perhaps it's something you want to go and invest in if you think it's going to be something that's going to take off. Anyway, they've got their um, they've got their sort of early access for thirty nine dollars. Um, the price is going to go up after that for $59 per year, whereas you'd get $39 for a lifetime. And the last little one is, you know me, I love AppSumo. So this is the latest deal on AppSumo. It's called Fleek. It's $49 for life. And if you are involved in creating documentation, especially documentation videos, the idea with this is that it enables you to create those videos with aplomb and ease. So you take a bunch of screenshots and it converts them into videos and you record the text over the, the top of them. Now, the nice thing about this is, should you at some point down the line have to change those videos, you don't have to start the whole process again. You can just change the little bit which is now new. So let's say that you've got six steps and step five needs amending. You need some new text and a new image in there. You can do that and the whole video gets sort of recompiled, if you like, and built around that new content. So that's quite cool. Anyway, it's in the, the new section. Go check it out. Right, okay, so we're going to go straight over to Regina Tuttolino, who is currently living in Canada. She has some really genuinely interesting things to say about copywriting. I, I loved her messages, and because there was so much great content, I've split it into two sections. She approaches the, the notion of con content writing with a storytelling approach, which I was I just really warmed to. I found it really genuine, and I could latch onto every little part of it. You, you'll get the idea when you've listened to it. Um, the follow-up will, of course, be next week, but I, I would urge you to listen to both parts. But before that, it's, um, it's going to be David and me um, talking about the etiquette of affiliate links. So here we go. Hope you enjoy the show. So today's topic is the etiquette of affiliate links. And we owe this topic, don't we, to Fayez Ahmed, which I know I'm saying incorrectly, and David Dennis, who asked us to talk about this. So, ooh, where do we start with this one? Because oh, we both use Lord. affiliate links. Yes. This is so hard. This is genuinely one that I'm puzzled by. I have no answers to this. I only have thoughts, and they're still distilling. Um, <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that until recently, um, you know, within the, certainly me, within the last six months is, is really the first links that I've started to use. Actually, that's not entirely true. We put some on the in the sidebar of the 
WP Builds uh, website about a year ago, but nobody I don't think has ever clicked them. So, um, but more recently, I've started to use them a little bit more, and it's fraught yeah. with moral ethical dilemmas <laughs> i think and i don't have the answers i only have i only have where i'm at at this point yeah yes well i you know they were quite simply quite evil to me in the early days before i used them and uh you know because i used to equate them with being out here in the east with taxi drivers used to take you off off your journey uh, to go and visit a the uh, cousin's shop to go and buy from them because we get the commission, that kind of stuff. And it always felt a little bit like that. But, yeah, I changed my mind. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I, you know, for my thing, for the YouTube videos and uh, using Beaver Build, I've got a limited number of affiliates there. And it's been nice. It's been a great encouragement when somebody else clicked on it and, and lovely when people actually contact you and ask you for an affiliate because you've helped them on something. So, you know, I've, I've come round from from seeing them as evil but I, I think I've gone on the other way actually even to the fact where I think you know it's actually quite a sort of noble thing to be an affiliate marketer in a way um <laughs> so the dilemmas I suppose are that mm. the the desire to generate revenue has mm. the capacity to override your integrity um, and so that might mean, for example, that you um, wax lyrical about a plugin or a product that you don't actually like because mm. you, because there's the capacity to um, generate uh, an affiliate sale from it. Now, mm. I guess that would be no different than if you went into a clothes shop and you talked to an assistant there and you said, you know, what do you think about this skirt or this pair of trousers? And they're going to tell you you look great in them because it's their mm. job to to sell things to you. And they might be secretly thinking you look really stupid in that, but they're not going to say it. So they're going to tell you how wonderful all their products are. Um, and but that there is a there is an element of okay on the internet you 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 want to you want to try and avoid that and you don't want to part with your cash unless something is genuine and sincere and meaningful um and we've all seen on the internet affiliate marketing done badly where <laughs> it's clearly not it, it, well it's disingenuous the the reviews or the website or the video um, are so over the top that you, you just know that this person is, is in it for the money. And at that point, you lose trust in them. And this is the line that I'm currently trying to tread a little bit because I don't want to become that person. But equally, having um, spent a bit of time each week putting this podcast together, um, occasionally a, an affiliate link does come through um and you you know you get the email and it's quite exciting you think oh i've made a few dollars there and so it pushes you potentially to make more of those mm. kind of posts and at some point you've got to say to yourself god am, am i doing the right thing here yes anyway i'm still just thinking about the the shop assistant who said you look great in skirt <laughs> yeah i actually i i have I have something I'll tell you after we've recorded <laughs> about me and skirts, but not not now. Actually, I don't have anything to say. It was it was a joke. Um, but yeah, so I I don't know. For me, it's 
Well, here's the other side, right? So imagine a product like let's take let's take the Beaver Builder page builder. Um, it's great. We love it. We're sincere about it. We genuinely like it. But they're going to have a limited capacity, a limited amount of resources to spend on traditional advertising. So they need word of mouth. Now, it is true to say that a lot of people are going to be compelled, shall we say, to write about Beaver Builder because there's a small chance that somebody reading their uh, post or watching their video is going to click on that link. So from the seller's point of view, it makes perfect sense to to put these affiliate links, these these affiliate systems together so that you can sign up and use their system. So it, it, it promotes their products and that's that's a good thing. But do you think um do you think people with products need to be mindful, because I'm not sure that they are necessarily, of who's using their links? Have you ever heard about them kicking people off their affiliate system because they're they're too over the top or I don't know, or, or don't don't use it correctly? I think they probably do. <clears throat> but I don't know much about it. And to be honest, I mean, I signed up for my affiliate links and I've not actually read all of the, the blurb that goes with it telling me what I should and shouldn't do with it. I just make the assumption that I'm I'm going to do kind of wholesome stuff and it'll be fine. Hmm. But I'm sure they must do. There must be some violations if they can spot them. Yeah. Or people who, who, who represent them badly from time to time. Yeah. I do. I, I must admit, I do admire some of the products that come out and say they're not going to do affiliate links because <clears throat> they believe in their product. And I think, you know, I think people have wrote on it. I think um, WP Rocket wrote on it. And I spend a lot of time saying that's a fabulous product that I use. Mm. And uh, mm. so it doesn't make much odds. And there is something with that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I. Even though I started from a position of seeing affiliate links as being a bit of a sort of dodgy way of doing business, <clears throat> a little bit like in the East, as I was describing with taxi drivers and the problems there, I do think there's a need also for the affiliate marketers who do stuff, you know, ones we know, ones that are in communities we know, who they they don't, These a lot of people say you need to believe in the product that you're talking about, but I don't think that's really the case because mm. what most people seem to want is is the lowdown on a new product that's come out that they're interested in and they often want a comparison with another product. Now, if, if only good use of affiliate is people who use that product and trust it and know it, then you're not going to get those that kind of content which is going to compare um, products like that, maybe on a superficial level, but that's actually what people want in that first case, don't they? They want to, to see what it does yes. as a quick way to see if they're going to look on any further. So there's a service that's actually in demand. So I think those affiliate marketers do very well when they provide that kind of service. Mm. Um, but there are the ones that, of course, make me groan, which are uh, overloaded, you know, those 10, 10 themes or something for your restaurant business or whatever. And they're just, you know, nothing really. They're just a copy of the copy that's on the uh, the theme maker's site and, uh, and an image to click on to go and buy it. They always seem a bit cheap. That's a good point. Uh, I guess the amount that you've put in um is maybe of, of significance so if you've if you've prepared an hour-long video and it's you know very well thought through and carefully planned mm. is there some more that in your eyes at least anyway would that would that offer a bit more um there's a bit more integrity there you're more likely to um click on those links and and and, and approve of that more 
Yeah, I, I think I would. You know, the worst thing about now carrying affiliate links is that you become quite moral, don't you, about other people's use of more. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do it the way they've done it, you know, yeah. where I never used to think like that before. So I'm more conscious of affiliate links than I've ever been, I think. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, when I feel somebody's done some work for it, then, you know, you know good on them. And if they make a, a good deal of money out of it, then also I think it only becomes dodgy when they kind of hide or pretend it's not that, you know, that's when it starts to not, you know, gel. Well, you know, if you know that somebody's showing a product and they, they, they really, it's new, they don't know if it's going to be a good product in the long term. It's new product. I think it's just easier to just say, I'm just reviewing a new product because I'm interested in it because you're it or you're interested in it. Even if I don't even think you have to be interested, do you? No, if well, that's an interesting money. point. I mean, I've, I've recently over the last, oh, I don't know, uh, six weeks or something, I've made quite a few videos about, um, product deals that have come up on a website called AppSumo, which we know about. Mm. Um, and my approach with those has been, I've bought it because I wanted it. And then I kind of figured, actually, it would be quite helpful because their sales copy is, um, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't describe and it doesn't have screenshots and things. I thought maybe it would be a good idea to to just do a demo where I click around and show what the buttons do. Um, and those have made... A, you know, it's not a lot, but they made a couple of sales here and there, and um, and so that's been been quite good. But my my dilemma shooting those videos because I do them off the cuff, they're they're, they're unrehearsed and they're you know unscripted. I literally in in many cases I I video the very first time I use the app. Um, the I've got to resist the temptation though to think okay, this video has the potential to. Uh, to convert really well um, in terms of affiliate sales if I make out that this thing's fabulous. Um, so I've got to make sure to uh, say what I see and not get too carried away. And and that can be that – I've, I've sometimes thought to myself after doing it, do you know what, did I overdo that? Or was I really saying what I thought? Um, and that's that's a line I've got to learn to tread, and I'm not sure that I've learned it just yet. And actually, if, if anybody's watched any of those videos, I would really genuinely like to know if I'm overdoing it, if I come across as salesy, or if it's just about right, or, or, or what. I would be quite interested to know. And David, your videos are amazing. Your videos don't have a hint of sales whatsoever. They're just utterly straightforward explanations of, of you know stuff that you've obviously you demonstrate a very high level of understanding of. Yeah. I've been saying to you though, I've got a dilemma because they are limited the things. And I took the affiliate uh, links for them for Beaver Builder. And I decided, because I, you know, I, I'm not checking the, the, the competition. I'm just a fan coming out of that. So it was fine. It seemed very wholesome to me to do that. Mm. Um, but also, but as I grew onto other products, which I was also interested in, they were new products that I was reviewing. And then I've, I've still got the problem now. There's one I need to take down and not be affiliate, I feel now, because mm. I don't recommend it because it's not panned out the way I thought it would be or it's been taken over by another product. And yeah, so <laughs> I still have my dilemmas. And also, you know, that's that's the hard thing. The, there's potential, there's not much, but potentially there's some money coming for leaving things as they are with my affiliates and just saying, well, that was from before, you know, yes. surely people know it's changed. But do I want to kill a potential stream of income for me, even if it's just tiny, tiny bits? And that's that's the one I, I struggle with. I've decided I will because mm. I've, I've decided on this particular thing I do. 
it's more important that I, you know, try and guide people to what I think now, you mm. know, so. Keep it up to date, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I'm doing that. But yeah, I can see how it's tricky for anybody who just take up affiliate link stuff as we, we were, I was saying before, wasn't there? How many blogs are still out there with Bluehost as being a favored WordPress hosting because they pay well for the affiliate links. But since the takeover of them via from EIG, which is not so popular. A lot of people have said it's not up to the standard it was before. Mm. But, you know, folks are not probably going to want to take those down, um, having done the work and they're still earning them some money, I would have thought. I'm guessing that over time you, mm. uh, you uh, and this is this is another dilemma, is that if if you're, let's say, in the beaver builder space, <clears throat> excuse me, and or let's say that you've come to um, you've come to the decision you're going to purchase a page builder, you you like what you've you've heard about mm. them, you don't. I now know that you are completely um, honest and decent, but on that first view. There must mm-hmm. be uh, there must be dozens of videos purporting to to describe the same thing. You know, here's mm-hmm. how Beaver Builder works. I wouldn't I wouldn't know you from anybody else. And it's only with mm-hmm. time that those those things come around. And I guess that's the little window of opportunity that affiliate link. I'm going to use the mm-hmm. word immorality. That's completely over the top, but you know what I mean. That's the little window of opportunity that that can be exploited by affiliates. You know, it's it's a new product. You've never heard of it clearly because you're you're hunting around on YouTube or whatever it is for videos or articles yeah. about it. So we'll just get in there early with our optimized content, and you will get that cookie in your in your browser. Um, whereas yeah. what what we all really want is to to massage the the people who are really in it for the long game and who promote it regularly and really understand it. But the internet doesn't work like that, and and certainly Google doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I'm I'm protecting my my own ass in this a bit because, you know, I, I I well, you know, the only reason really for me to do the videos or carry on with it is it gives me some nice credibility. It shows to me and clients for my future business that I I do something and I'm, you know, I'm there amongst my peers, you know demonstrating how things are done so i gotta sort of protect if you like i can't flip to other products very easily and see like i'm endorsing because i don't it's not part of my business so i've got that sort of protection in what i could do but you know what i do think there's another side of this you know if you do content for people and you're trying to help people out you have to earn some money and you don't get much out of this so I haven't got it in for people who really do go for sort of marketing or find a way because as long as they're being honest and let's face it, 98% out of people out there are not just really going to be that aware of affiliate links. They just want the information, yes, don't they? Yes, and they'll and, spot a fake a mile off probably. Yeah, you know, and I'm only thinking that my little niche market of people that might follow me for long term and, and the people, if you like, more serious developers who will listen to me, even though I'm not one, give me credibility. So I've got to make sure that those people who are perhaps more sensitive to affiliates that I don't kind of become a bit too markety so mm. so i'm i'm reserved into what i can do and get away with but you know uh, if i was free and starting again i just think i might i might think of it very differently you know yeah realize realize what people want what they're looking for is there any place where you would not put an affiliate link yes <laughs> the i i think that we actually we haven't gone to the etiquette really in a way i mm. think as somebody who has affiliate links i think there's a couple of places you can't do it and that's on somebody else's property if you like so you know on somebody else's facebook that they run i think it's acceptable for the owner of that um book uh, that 
that group to to make some money out of running it i think that's kind of appropriate depending on the situation but if you go and put your affiliate links in there i think that's kind of wrong because you're sort of stealing away their crowd for your purposes and i think the same with comments in blog posts and that so i think i think they're clear i think there's a clear morality there isn't it it's probably Mm. not right to do that Mm. um uh, although it's not so clear, obviously. Everybody yeah, it's, things out. it's a grey area, isn't it? The, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I was going to say, would you would you send an affiliate link to a close family member, or would you? Dare I ask? Would you would you use your own affiliate link to buy the product? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, the <laughs> second one, I'm I'm far too stupid to know how to do that, but I definitely would. <laughs> and would you like? Would you send affiliate links to your brother? Or is, yeah. is he too? It's it's too close to, for your mum or your dad or your brother. No. Oh yeah, no problem because they don't lose anything out of it. And they no. would have no idea what just happened. But you know what? Here's the thing: because there is a bit of a legal element to this, isn't there as well? Mm. Um, because we're supposed to be transparent about these things. I think. I think. Oh, I wish I knew who it's. Oh, it's the Federal Trade Commission Act or something, which says that we should fully disclose this kind of thing on the websites and I think well you know in our groups we talk a lot about our clients and if our clients you know perhaps want to go somewhere else we might want to say okay that's fine and uh, offer them affiliate link to go somewhere else or an affiliate link to buy some of the software that we're using on their products but I suspect when most of us are talking about doing that we're probably not saying we're going to put a full disclosure next to it no no I, I must admit i'm guilty of it sometimes just not doing it but then sometimes i put affiliate link or aff link or something um yeah. <clears throat> and i always use google's uh, url shortener for just about everything i do and post online just because i just do um so i'm not trying to hide them i'm just that's just the way i spread links around on the internet usually Right, you're right. We didn't get to the bottom of the etiquette of that, but I think at 18, close on to 19 minutes, we probably should draw a line under that one and, um, you know, move on uh, to, yeah. the, to the next part of the podcast. And cool down. Yeah, exactly. Hot, the colour talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. It was a nice little chat. Hello there. Welcome to another episode. Today I've got uh, Regina Tuzzolino. I hope I've managed to pronounce that right. She's just <laughs> schooled me in how to say it. Hi there. Yeah. Hi there, Nathan. Yes, that was perfect. Thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I, I probably shan't say it again now, but um, <laughs> at least I got it right the one and only time. Now, um, this is going to be a really interesting episode, um, primarily because it's a subject that we've literally never touched on before. I don't think we've even mentioned it once. Because we're normally talking about plugins, we're normally talking about uh, working with clients and so on and so forth. Um, This is going to be interesting because we're going to talk um, about copywriting. Um, But first of all, we're going to get to know Regina so that we can uh, find out a little bit about her. And then next week, during next week's episode, we're going to find out a little bit about more more about how we might copyright and what what are the things that we need to think about when trying to urge clients to take copy seriously and stop fussing about the redness of the button. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hi there. Would you like to Hello. just tell us a tiny little bit about yourselves, bef- about yourself, sorry, before we get stuck in properly? Uh, yes. So, um, I have always been a storyteller. I um, was drawing at a very long at a very young age and um everything that i would draw and make art 
um, about was a full story. And so I would write about it. And often um, the paintings I had had uh, words on them and they told a story or I, would, or I would create paintings that told a story like a graphic novel would. So but I never thought about uh I never wanted to to create a uh, copy for for uh, products because I was this kind of this little punk rocker girl that was, you know, anti-consumerist. So when I when I did, but I but I had a knack for it. So mm-hmm. I actually created art that was uh, kind of a cheeky take on advertisements. I made paintings um, that were almost like, you know, fake ads for products that you would never want for ridiculous products. Um, And I never thought that I would actually be doing it and and loving it for products. But as I got older, I realized, well, hey, you know, not everything has to be, you know, an a cheesy product as something that's not useful, you could actually help small businesses and brands promote their products and you can help them uh, create their brand identity and help them create a voice. So I think this is the thing about copywriting that people don't understand that the greatest value of it. A lot of times I think where, where businesses might fail um, to convert is because they, they don't know how to um, to talk about their, their product in an engaging way that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like an ad, that doesn't sound like a hard sell. Um, so I think that's, that's the angle that I, that I take. Um, and that's, uh, basically where I came from. I came from, you know, not wanting to live in a, in a consumerist society and, and, and in a way, I think that actually makes my copy better because I really am adverse to the hard sell. Mm, You know, I'm all about uh, engaging someone and making them love your brand so that they want to buy your brand and support it. And uh, and of course, you have a great brand and you have to describe it very well as you know, that's part of it, too. Yeah, we we, um, we as web developers, I think I personally I mean, I love reading. I'm a great I'm an avid reader. But when I look at the Internet, I am largely drawn to the imagery and I find myself reading, um, reading mm-hmm. everything after I've looked at it. So mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll get to a new Web page and my first initial reaction will be uh, looking. I'll, I'll stare sure. and I won't read. And then after I've stared, if I'm still engaged, I'll begin the process of reading. I'm guessing yes. that somebody like you, you've probably got that propensity slightly upside down to me i'm guessing that somebody like you is is very fixated on the words and the words are very important no oh good okay not (laughs) no not necessarily because what what the listener doesn't know yet because i don't believe i've said this yet is um i have a master's in uh fine arts and i was a designer for 11 years um in new york city so i have always combined the visual with the with the story and because i am actually i actually see usually i actually see something first it's when i write um a story or a screenplay i see the scene and then i figure out how i want to write it okay so i actually do i am a visual person and i i and i think actually that's why my my web copy i is successful because i let the visuals tell half the story and I don't repeat what it's saying. I 
instead I create subtext. I create layers of meaning with what I'm saying, or I create something, uh, you know, a memorable slogan or, you know, something like that, that someone could say, oh, that's clever. And they'll remember the brand that way. So, yeah, I don't look at it, it, it with the writing first. I look at it really holistically at, at the full picture. Um, that's basically how I go about doing okay. it. Well, that's, that's great to know. I mean, you're a, a you can do everything all in, all in one go. That's fabulous. Um, now, true to form, the, the, when we have podcast guests on, we send out a document to them that they can fill in. And mm-hmm. this document uh, has been filled in by Regina. And um, usually the, the, the guests post a few lines and, you know, it's like, whereas you've written a, a life story, um, which is just fabulous. And so I wonder if it would be a good use of our time if you wanted to talk through your story, because it's very compelling and it's interestingly framed um, because it, it's kind of broken that you've broken down your own life story, not from childhood, but you've broken down no. your own life story into the into the, the parts that would make up successful copy. So exactly. If you yeah. don't mind, I'm going to I'm going to sit back, I'm going to relax yeah. and I'm going to let you talk for a little while. Just talk us through your journey, breaking it sure. down into the sections that you did for me because it's so so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, right. So when I looked at this blank page <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, geez, I hope this isn't going to be overwhelming, but that what comes to mind is any time uh, a storyteller embarks on their story. For most of us, most storytellers are familiar with the hero's journey. And this is uh, taken, especially screenwriters. Now, this was spearheaded by a screenwriter called uh, Christopher Vogel, who, who worked in Hollywood. And he based it on Joseph Campbell's uh, analysis of, uh, of myths. And I believe that's called the hero with a thousand faces. So, Anytime I start thinking about a story, I can't help but kind of break it down into that sort of an outline. So I thought, well, hey, if I'm talking about writing on this podcast, this is actually natural to talk about the hero's journey because I like uh, my clients to know about their brand and know about their own story before we even, you know, get down to writing their web copy. And this is a good uh, tool for anyone who's trying to explore their own brand identity, who's trying to um, convey their brand message or even find, you know, how do I how do I write my blog post about what I do? This is how to do it. And I'll go through the hero's journey while talking about my my journey and how I got into copywriting. Great. Thanks. So the, the first thing is um, and, and you can think about it, too, as I as I'm as I'm walking everyone through it. Think about a film that you've watched recently and um, and the next time you watch a film, think about these steps because you'll notice when they happen. So it always starts with the ordinary world and you'll you'll see the ordinary world if you think about Star Wars and you you see Luke and he's in that camp and it's kind of, you know, he he he's poor and it's dusty and it's it's almost like uh well it's a lot like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. So the ordinary story is where it all begins. And in my case, it was 
I'll, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about childhood. It was really when I was in New York City, I was working as a print designer. And I had studied journalism first before moving into art because I thought, oh, I love writing. Oh, I love art. Which one do I do? I I was kind of this little punk rock girl and I <laughs> I was really anti-establishment and anti, you know, consumer society. And so even though looking back, I would have been perfect for going into advertising. I, you know, I just that just seemed so wrong for me. But the funny thing is, is I made art that uh, was social commentary art that kind of was making fun of ads. Now, the irony is by making fun of these ads, I really was honing a skill of writing ad copy. I would I would create a visual. I would it was was usually of some sort of product that no one would want, um, kind of a ridiculous product. And I would write a cheeky um, slogan for it. Um, And that's what I did for fun. That was my artwork. Um, And. I just never thought I would do it for real brands. Uh, but the funny thing is, is that's now what I'm doing. And that was sort of <laughs> kind of like, you know, priming me for it. Um, now, the next thing that happens in a hero's journey, that's the ordinary world. The next thing that happens is the call to adventure. And that's when something shakes up that ordinary world and it propels the hero into these challenges, into this new, this new world that they have to navigate. Um, and for me, uh, what happened is I had just been promoted to creative director at this children's wear company and I loved it and they loved me and it was just a, I was just shooting up and it was wonderful. And then my husband got accepted, uh, to work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, uh, I was a big Peter Jackson fan already. I love heavenly creatures. And so when he told me this, he said, do you want to live in New Zealand? You know, most people would probably say, no, I'm just got promoted. I'm going to stay here, but I'm, I'm really love adventure. And I, you know, grew up in a really small town in Louisiana and I always wanted to move and explore. So I said, yes, let's go. (laughs) So we moved to New Zealand and it was a shock because it was very small. Wellington, New Zealand was very small back then. Lord of the Rings had not been out yet in the cinema. They were still working on it. So it wasn't a big, you know, no, it wasn't even on the map for most people. So I thought, well, what am I going to do here? There's no fashion industry. And I realized I had to reinvent myself or find a way to, to work with what other skills that I have. So the next uh, step in the hero's journey is, uh, well, I'll go three and four, steps three and four together. It's overcoming fear and meeting the mentor. Mm. So there in New Zealand, I remember walking around and thinking, okay, I, you know, what is there to do in this little town? And I saw these flyers up, you know, many flyers up for different events, but none of them describe the event. Like I wouldn't know by the visual what this event was. I don't know who this band is. So you better show me in this flyer what kind of music you do. And I thought, well, gee, don't they know how to do that? So I thought, <laughs> let me <laughs> let me start putting on music shows. I'll help these musicians market their, you know, get their names out there. I'll put on shows. And what I ended up doing is I, I decided I'm going to 
pick two different bands. So I'll have two different audiences, but they'll be just interesting, you know, just similar enough that they won't sound strange to have these two bands at the same time. And uh, gosh, I can't even remember the ones I did. I think I had, I think I had like a root that was a lot of roots was really popular mm. in New Zealand kind of dub and roots. I had a roots and I had kind of a punk ska together one night and I can't remember what else, but I would put these two different types of music together and I would make the marketing, um, uh, you know, um, visuals and I would describe it in a way with the visuals and very few words on these flyers and they were really successful. So I thought, okay, this is great. I, I really like this. This is doing my, uh, you know, kind of like my ad stuff that I did in my paintings, but it's helping people. It's not just, you know, taking the piss out of things. <laughs> so, um, so from there, I, uh, I, I started doing it for theater and, uh, oh, and the mentor. So a couple of mentors happened. I, I met a, I met a musician that kind of got me, you know, introduced me to bands, but I think the biggest mentor was just one phrase that somebody told me that kind of got me on the right path. So I got into, uh, I did two productions for the Fringe Festival. And one of them was really intense because I got some people from New York and I had worked with them before in art installations and I loved them. They were great. Um, and they had put this on this, this show on somewhere else in, in America and people loved it. But it bombed in New Zealand. They didn't get the humor. They didn't like it at all. (laughs) And it was so stressful because this this troupe came from New York. um, And, you know, the opening night was packed, but nobody came the, the following night. So opening night was packed. And I remember uh, I the part oh yeah the uh the 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 director of the fringe or somebody working in fringe came up to me and said okay regina i don't know what you did for your press kit but i'm looking around and everyone these are the biggest media people here these are all the news people he these are the radio people so whatever you did was amazing you know it was killer but unfortunately the press hated it like the press (laughs) and I did not show this I did not show this to the theater troupe at all I hid it from them but they got it it was panned they hated it so I thought okay you know what this was so stressful I never want to produce theater again but (laughs) hey I really I found my calling like I know that I can write persuasive call to action copy I know how to get people to sign on and show up and believe that it's going to be great. Now, hopefully the person that I'm writing this for will deliver on that promise, but I will get people signing on. I will get them interested. So that's my gift. And I thought, okay, this is, this is the mentor part of the the hero's journey. It just took them to say that to me, you know, they didn't Mm. have to tell me that, but it took them to, once they said that, I said, well, well, yeah, I don't have to produce theater. I'll just do the call to action copy. I'll help brands uh, promote. That's that's wonderful. So the next stage in the hero's journey is crossing the threshold uh, commitment to change. Now, the best way to describe that, that's kind of hard for people to know what that means. So basically, that's in at the end of act one. Um, in a in a in a play or in a screenplay, where the hero has said, "Okay, that's it. I'm leaving the ordinary world. I don't care." In my case, oh, I don't care about going back to New York and working in 
fashion textiles again. I'm, I'm ready to just commit to writing now. I really enjoy it. This is what I studied before I went into artists. I studied journalism. I wanted to, to write about people and write about events, and now I'm doing it. So that's the crossing the threshold part of it. Um, the other part of it is, um, oh, commitment to change. Yeah. So then you're all in. You, 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 you dive into it. You're ready. So fast forward, I throughout the years, I after New Zealand, I lived in England and I moved to Los Angeles after a couple of years in England because my husband's in film. So he's getting jobs here and there. And we didn't want to leave England, by the way. I loved it there. I loved London. And we traveled all through the UK. Um, but, uh, and I did not like Los Angeles. Oh, we, I agree. Sorry, people that live in Los Angeles. Sorry, Los Angeles. <laughs> I have a lot of LA friends and they love it. And I, I, I know why they love it. But for me, New York and London were the best cities because there was so much, there was a little bit of definitely London and definitely all of the UK. Older history, um, more of the, the the fine arts and uh, cutting edge theater and all of that. And, and L.A. has that to an extent, but it just doesn't compare. Mm. And of course, other traffic and all is terrible. But I digress. But getting back, once I was in L.A., I thought, well, what am I doing in L.A. now? Uh, you can get the best screenwriting um, education here. So I went to UCLA, I took a class there, I took some, um, also some creative classes there, and I did a lot on my own, um, just read every screenplay, learned how to dissect it, you know, and learned a lot, learned about this too, the, um, the steps. And I wrote my first screenplay, which is a sci-fi, um, which is scary. It's scary how similar it is to to what's happening in the states now. Hmm. It's a. It was sort of a dark comedy about a, a a president of a country that was really just a corporation, and the president was a TV star. <laughs> whoa, whoa, yeah, that's very prescient, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was in 2009, and it was a quarter finalist or semi-finalist I can't remember of um of this contest and it was the first screenplay I ever wrote and the um judges were all you know Hollywood producers and they gave me amazing notes and there were 10 of them and some of them said this is the best one I've read for this contest I you know I I want her to you know I'm saying she should move forward um others were saying this is fantastic just needs a little more polishing and you know so I was like okay this is great I'm gonna keep doing this so I didn't keep doing it, but I, I did to an extent. I, I Somebody came to me and said, I, I want to shop this around. So I did do I did keep doing it. I rewrote that for him. Um, but a few things sidetracked me, and I couldn't do it for a while. I couldn't go back to it. Uh, but from there, long story short, uh, I have written another screenplay, and it was uh, quarterfinalist or semifinalist recently, um, in a big uh, international contest. And it's also a, a futuristic um, thing that I wrote in 2015 uh, that has to do a lot with um, race relations and has to do a lot with whitewashing. And that was before Get Out film came mm. out. Yep. And I wrote it in the vein of uh, Black Mirror because I'm a big fan of Black Mirror, yeah, the cool. UK series. Um, so that's all made me realize, okay, so this whole storytelling thing is very similar to how any story should be told. Um, 
and how web, really how every brand story is, should be told. So long story short, from that commitment to, to change, when I, a couple of years ago, I decided, well, I have all these skills. I know how to design. I know how to write. And I'm looking at these websites that are really sad that kind of break my heart <laughs> because I could tell, I mean, it's sad. I could tell that the person doesn't have the money to pay all these different people to make their site. So they pay one person, they pay, they pay the developer so that the site actually functions, but then they don't have um, anyone to just to make sure the copy is in small bits and, and is, you know, easy to read and you have visuals that are easy to navigate. So I thought, okay, I need to learn how to, to create very simple websites so I can help these people out and, and do their web copy. And eventually I'll stop doing websites altogether and I'll just do the copy. So that's how I got in. That's how I learned how to, to create WordPress websites. And a big factor in that was Beaver Builder. Uh, because I had never done it, done this before. So I got Beaver Builder and Ultimate Add-ons, and I joined the Beaver Builder group. I made a few websites. I did all the copy for them. I did all brand slogans, everything. You know, pick the pick the content, pick the photographs. Told them when they needed to get new photos. The everything, the art direction. And I just thought, okay, this is a lot of work. So eventually, I just want to do web copy. So the funny thing that happened on that forum is um, because I was learning, I was basically reading a lot and just taking notes. And occasionally I'd ask one question or two, but it was just note taking. And at one point I saw Paul Lacey on there and he said, hey, everybody, look at my website and tell me what you think. And I did. And I, you know, I chimed in and so did a few other people. And then I saw him say, ah, the web copy needs work. You know, that's my thing. That's the thing. I don't really know how to do that well. And I said, hey, listen, that's what I do. So how because I'm learning so much just being on this forum and and you know I've learned from reading things that you've written Paul how do you feel about just a skill exchange where I edit your copy you know maybe I'll even write your slogans if you need it I'll help you get your brand voice and you give me some help with you know learning CSS or you know helping out on on a, some projects here and there and boy has he helped me seriously he's helped me a lot yeah he's great so I He's fantastic. So, so that was just brilliant. He, so I'm going to have to just fast forward because he is, Paul is the one who factors into, um, uh, six, seven, and eight mm. of the hero's journey, which, uh, six being forming your allies. Seven is, uh, basically facing new ordeals and eight is adapting to your new conditions, which is basically me learning, how to do these websites and, you know, hoping that they don't look terrible because I really I'm doing them to showcase my writing and, and it's worked. I mean, he's helped me tremendously. So with those steps in the hero's journey for me, um, Paul was my, is my big ally and he's been my, my teacher and my ally. Um, and, uh, the ordeals, oh my God. So the ordeals, like, I'm learning new things and I'm, and it's working. But then at one point I said, Oh, I'm going to try, um, functions PHP. I've never done that. <laughs> and, <laughs> Beware. and it crashed the site. Oh. And Oh my God. And I had pulled an all nighter. It was like seriously 24 hours. I had been working on the site and it was almost done for this first part of the site where I show it to the client and she gives me this feedback. 
And I said, oh, my God, I have one more day to show her. And he and everyone's saying, you just get an extension. Even Paul said, get an extension. And I said, well, I'm going to try to do as much as I can to fix it first. And Paul helped me fix it. Thank God. And since then, I've got gotten um, managed WP, which I can then just update it. Yes. At, <laughs> yeah, at will, you know, just completely, you know, back it up and restore it at yep. will, which yep. is fantastic. That's taken a load off. But he paused the one who said, get that. And so I did. But um, but he he helped me through that. He's my ally. He's helped me through the ordeals and he's helped me navigate those new conditions. So the next part of it is um, steps nine and ten, which is um, basically the big changes and the new dedication. And what that means is. um. So in a film and in, in, in stories and mythology, um, the hero takes possession of the treasure, one, by facing death. Well, that was the white screen of death, I think. <laughs> I like it. Next, when, the, when the site crashed. And then it says there may be a celebration, but there's also danger of losing the treasure again. Oh, yes. There's always danger of losing the treasure again with, with me because I'm I really am learning, you know, as I go a lot. And then number 10 is the road back, which is about three fourths of the way through a film or a story where the hero must complete the adventure. He leaves this special world because uh, he wants to share his treasure with other people. So, you know, it, it, that's very literal. It's, it's There's so many ways to manifest that in a story. But often there's a, you know, there's like urgency or danger involved um, when they when they leave that. So for me, this is this is where I, I call it the hero comes up for air. So he's been in the water. He was thrown in the water. He's flailed around, you know, and now he's he's come up. He's come up for air. He's not drowning anymore. Um, he or she has learned to swim. But there's a there's a way to go before he, he reaches land again, before the hero reaches where they need to go. So that's that's basically, I think, kind of where I am now. I'm, I'm seeing the results of my hard work. I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of trials and errors to get where I am now. I'm getting results. I'm getting calls from headhunters. I'm getting calls from companies. You know, they're saying that they love what I'm doing and they want and they're networking for me, which is fantastic. So I feel like in a short time, the whole approach that I've taken, um, which is not, I guess, a typical approach is working. Um, I took this approach based on a, on a film called field of dreams. Mm. Um, and the, the quote in that film that, that everyone, you know, who's watched it, or even people who don't, who haven't watched the film has, have heard this quote is called, if you build it, they will come. And I thought, well, I need to build these websites <laughs> to show what I can do, to show that that I can write web copy, to show that I can help people develop their brand, get their brand voice, create brand slogans, and then people will come to me. And and I did it, and it and it, and it works. So that's the steps nine and ten. Now the next leg of the journey after that is the steps eleven and twelve. This is really how films wrap up. How they how they end and how stories end. So it, they call it the resurrection. It's where the hero is stronger um, after they've resolved the polarities of 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 what they faced at the start of their journey. And for me, it's really quite literal because it, it for me I hate it. Um, 
I mean, hate is a strong word. I was so anti, you know, consumerist and anti-establishment. And I thought, oh, oh, ads are hilarious. They're they're so bad. Oh, boy. You know, and I never thought that I would now become full circle. And I, they can be terrible. Ads can be horrible. They can be hard sales. They can be, you know, smarmy. And a lot of times what I do as a writer, um, I do a lot of ghost writing, too, for people on their social media because they don't realize they get on social media and they have a they have their their page, their profile. And when they talk about their brand, it sounds like they're selling it all the time. That's not what people want to see on your Facebook. Um, it's not what they want to see on a lot of social media or even their blog posts. They want to see your identity. They want to see your story. They want to know your hero's journey. And so what I do as a writer for them, as a ghost writer, is I help them find that. Um, I help them find that voice. And I think part of that, uh, what I'm doing here for your podcast is showing them the steps to help them figure out their journey and figure out their their brand. And then not everyone is a writer, but from there they could go to someone like me and I can help them create their brand identity after they go through these steps and realize, oh yeah, this is this is this is my background. This is my backstory. And then I basically ghostwrite for them. I ghostwrite their blogs. I ghostwrite their their Facebook pages and I do their web copy from there. So for me that that's where I am now. And that that's, that's, oh yeah. And I forgot to say that the last bit of every story is when the hero has taken what they've learned or gained, um, and they share it with others. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I've always loved doing. I've always loved promoting, helping other people promote their brands. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the end. That's basically the, my journey. And just to harken back to um, Field of Dreams, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's a cute film about a lot of people say oh, it's a cute film about baseball. But it's really it's really a, it's really a film about following your dreams. And um, in the in the film, the hero kind of has this vision or dream uh, that he needs to build a baseball diamond on his farm. And he cuts back part of his, his, his farm to do that. And of course his farm is failing after that. And he has all these naysayers, but he, the, the film ends with him basically attracting this, this team. They actually, all, they're actually all ghosts. So it's kind of a, one of the, you know, like a fable. Um, but he saves a farm and he, he connects with his family in ways that he never expected. I'm not going to give away any, any <laughs> no spoilers any, any plot twists, but it's, it's really lovely. And, um, yeah. And, and so for me, you know, uh, my, you know, I, like I, like I said, you know, my credits aren't quite ready to roll yet. You know, my film's not over yet. I have a lot more to go <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot more to learn. Um, but, uh, I think the the angle that I have that um, knowing your brand story and um, how screenwriting, it, which is something that I love and studied, is uh, is really similar to great copy in that it's so so concise and it and it's descriptive without being long winded. Yeah, um, I, I mean that's I, basically it. Yeah, I, I I loved what you'd written and you've you've spoken so eloquently for such a long time. You you must go oh. off and have some water. <laughs> But that was just lovely, framing your whole life in a, in terms of a story. Now, I'd never 
really broken down stories before, but um, now I, I kind of have a great understanding of the, the, the plot mechanisms that you might use. Um, we're going to take a we're going to take a pause until next week, um, and then next week we're going to sort of try to unpick how this might apply itself to uh, web copy, which is obviously you know very very much what we're all doing. This audience is doing. So again, thank you for giving us the foundation for next week and preparing us for what we're going to uh, what we're going to be discovering. So um, I'm going to say goodbye for this week, and I'll I'll catch you uh, on next week's episode. Bye bye. Thank you, Nathan. And our ending fact or term today is progressive enhancement. I kind of like this term because it sounds fancy and and clients don't understand what it is but <laughs> what i understand what i understand about it is it's a strategy for web design that emphasizes the core web page content first so it allows you to progressively add more nuances and and layers to the complexity of your design as for example end users browsers um develop and, and grow so typically i think it was used a lot when there were a lot of css3 properties around that wouldn't work on earlier browsers mm -hmm. so you would design your website to work well on the minimum and then you would enhance it for css3 knowing that it was coming along you know most people would have it and that would enhance your website so so yeah you, the, you, you build it with the core um yeah. the very basic function i so that it'll display what it, whatever it is you need to display, and then as mm. as features are added into, for example, browsers, um, mm. then they will um, they will become available to the viewer when the browser supports it. Um, yes. So things like WebP at the minute, new new sort of standard of images that Google have created, mm. that's around the corner. But only I think twenty percent of browsers at the moment support them. So that might be something that you could add in with the picture tag. And then yeah. um, as time goes on, you can sort of make the image tag more and more redundant. Yes. And I think maybe it includes mobile first in that because to do proper mobile first, isn't it? To start with your design and then you add your media queries the other way around to what we typically do. Yeah. So then you add, you add more for the, the larger screens. So, mm. yeah, I think okay. that's what it means. Yeah, well, progressive enhancement done. Tick. Um, right, in which case, thanks for listening to this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll um, start to fade in the cheesy music, which uh, you can enjoy. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if anybody actually enjoys them, but you can, you can grind your teeth and hate it until it's finished. <laughs> so uh, it's goodbye from me, Nathan Wrigley. And goodbye from me, David Wormsey. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.